Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Monday, June 12th. I'm Desiree Frazier. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, the Supreme Court has ruled against Alabama in a case over legislative redistricting, and a similar case is underway in Mississippi. Then, how can $1 million in federal funds be used to fight climate change? Plus, Mississippi has joined a lawsuit against a new policy that has significantly raised federal flood insurance rates. And emergency responders say leaving a child or pet in the car for any amount of time can be deadly as we get into the hottest portion of the year. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. A Supreme Court ruling on Alabama's redistricting could have major ramifications for the state's voting lines. When state lawmakers move forward with redistricting plans in 2021, concerns were raised the proposed maps were diluting the votes of black Mississippians. Several lawsuits were filed against the final maps, including a case by the ACLU that claims legislative boundaries were drawn unfairly. Our Will Stribling speaks with attorney Joshua Tom, who is the legal director at the ACLU of Mississippi, about this case. After the, the 2020 census, the Mississippi legislature, um, as is required, redrew the uh, maps for the state house and state senate. And we looked at those maps along with our co-counsel and experts and determined that uh, there are several districts in the senate and several districts in the House that did not comply either the Voting Rights Act, which is a federal law that has to deal with, with voting in the country, and also with the U.S. Constitution. And the redrawn State House and State Senate maps violated the Voting Rights Act and the Constitution in the following ways. Number one, the Voting Rights Act, because certain of these districts uh, diluted the voting strengths of, of black voters and that if they were to be drawn uh, in accordance with uh, federal law, you would likely uh, more districts where black voters could elect their representatives of choice, which in Mississippi would likely result in more black representation in the state house and state senate. And number two, some of these districts in the state house and state senate violated the U.S. Constitution because they were drawn, at least in part, on the basis of race. Uh, in mind, and you know, under the Equal Protection Clause of the U.S. Constitution, you can't do that. And so that's what the lawsuit's about. It has to do with making sure that the state House and state Senate 
uh, maps uh, allow all Mississippians, regardless of race, to have their voice heard through elections. Currently, that case is, um, you know, we're in discovery. We're still waiting to hear from the court about when the trial date will be set, you know, which will be as early as early next year. Um, But in any event, we think that the trial will happen sometime in 2024. After that, uh, Alabama prevailed in that case. Has it changed how y'all were thinking about this case or, or the, the strength of your, your Section 2 claims? So the, the Alabama case that um, the Supreme Court decided yesterday um, left uh, the status quo with, regarded, with regards to the Voting Rights Act Section 2. And our case uh, in Mississippi about the state um, Senate and state House districts also uh, is, is under uh, Section 2 of the Voting Rights Act. And so, you know, our case, you know, what the, the Alabama case um, that was just decided by the Supreme Court could have done is it could have further eroded the protections of the Voting Rights Act. But what the court decided to do with its – that both, you know, conservative justices and liberal justices agree, agreed with, five to four decision in the Alabama case – that they would leave Section 2 of the Voting Rights Act as it has been for, you know, many decades now. And so we brought our state legislative redistricting lawsuit under Section 2 of the Voting Rights Act in addition to the U.S. Constitution, and the the Alabama decision by by the Supreme Court yesterday left the Voting Rights Act Section 2 jurisprudence intact. And so, you know, our case um, is a good one, and uh, after the Supreme Court's decision in Alabama yesterday – uh, it remains a good one. Can you, uh, you know, share with me maybe one of the examples that jumped out to y'all the most as the most glaring among those House and Senate districts that that y'all are pointing to in the suit? I can't speak too um, detailed. You know, a lot of that was done by you know demographers and experts and mapping and, and et cetera. But I can speak to it more generally that you know as the population of Mississippi has changed, certain parts have grown. You know, whether um, that's uh, in North Mississippi, you know, in DeSoto County uh, near which are you know, sort of like mm-hmm. suburbs of Memphis or, you know, or down on the coast, um, you know, in other parts of the state. You know, as, as the population um, has changed over the past 10 years, when the legislature redrew the maps after the 2020 census, they did so in a way that lessened or diluted the voting strength of, of black voters uh, in the state house and state senate districts that were that were challenging, and that if the uh, legislature uh, were to comply with the Voting Rights Act and to comply with the U.S. Constitution, uh, you would have the result of uh, black voters in the challenged districts being able to select uh, candidates of their choice, which, uh, from a practical matter, would likely result in more black representation, more black senators, and more black representatives in uh, the state house and state senate what do you think of the counter argument from the legislators who drew the maps is just that they had to draw the maps this way this way because of because of those exact demographic shifts you're talking about where uh you know predominantly white areas like desoto county have grown so much where um you know areas like the delta have lost so much population over the past 10 years our lawsuit, um, you know, in order to comply with the Voting Voting Rights Act, there's there's various things, and I think it's it's too detailed for for this type of interview. But the state Senate uh, and the state House districts that we challenged, you know, we argue, and you know, our experts will prove this up, 
that they're drawn in such a way that it dilutes the voting strength of black voters, and that if you were to draw them in compliance with the Voting Rights Act and in compliance with the Constitution, black voters would have, in those districts that we challenged, um, a chance to elect representatives of their, of their choosing. Joshua Tom is an attorney with the ACLU of Mississippi. Coming up, we ask how farmers are adjusting to growing their crops amid climate change. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit, you get information about foods you should eat to stay in good health and tips on how to stay active. I'm Josie Bidwell, host of Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit, an associate professor of preventive medicine at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Listen to the show every Monday at 11 or subscribe to the podcast by searching for Southern Remedy with your preferred podcasting app. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. Climate smart agriculture is having a moment thanks to a pledge of billions in federal funding earlier this year. But how exactly does it work? From the Gulf States newsroom, Danny MacArthur has the story of Louisiana farmers already experimenting with this practice of growing more while using less. The route to Eros, Louisiana is largely rural. You pass through a literal one-stop-like town on the way. You have arrived. Finally, Campty Field of Dreams Farm appears. In early April, the organization and other groups hosted a series of classes on tools that will help small farmers get healthier soil. The first day comes after rain. Watch yourself, we had a little bit too much rain last night. Donna Isaacs is the executive director. Isaac says a big part of their work is adjusting to climate change. Last year, we had extreme highs, droughts, unbelievable rainfall. I mean, cold earlier than we expected, deep, deep freeze. Isaac says this trend of extreme weather will continue to happen. So we have to build our soil and build resiliency into our soil and into the way we grow food so that we can handle all of that. Good morning, everybody. Groups like hers are helping make farming in climate-friendly ways practical for rural and underserved farmers. And they've been doing it for years. One way is through demonstrations like these. Local farmers and gardeners gather in her field to watch techniques to save time, money, and the soil. They also learned about innovative tools, like this roller crimper. It's this piece of equipment that kind of looks like a lawnmower, except it's not cutting the crop, it's pushing it flat. This type of no-till farming is part of a sustainable system where everything is connected. For example, the farm uses chickens to graze, and the bird's waste is a natural fertilizer. The Natural Resources Conservation Service in Louisiana will be leaning on farmers and groups like Campty Field of Dreams to spread the word about climate-smart agriculture funding. Eugene Livingston is the state outreach coordinator for the agency. Now we're trying to find different partners in the local rural communities that can work with NRCS to help us set up local outreach meetings so we can get producers in the same room with us. 
climate-smart agriculture is an increasing priority for the Biden administration, which has earmarked billions of dollars for it. That's a pretty broad goal. They want farmers and producers to conserve their lands, reduce greenhouse gas emissions, and store carbon. The state organization already has a partnership with Campty Field of Dreams and Isaacs. She hosts a series of workshops uh, throughout the year, and those are good opportunities for producers to come and learn about climate smart practices and how to form the right way. So underneath this cover crop, you need some good soil. Yes, yes. Johnny Horton lives in the small community of Pumpkin Center, Louisiana. He hopes these sustainable strategies help him restore his family lands. Horton works two jobs right now. I work sheriff's office and also do electrical and air conditioning work to supplement my, my pay. But his retirement plan is growing unique crops. Um, this year, I'm hoping to grow enough yellow and purple tomatoes, along with some yellow and purple jalapenos, uh, to make a uh, some salsa. And when I go down to the LSU football game for the tailgating, I'll take some jars of purple and gold salsa. He says decades of neglect ruined the soil quality on his land. And he's been coming to these Campy Field of Dreams classes to learn how to improve it. And so I'm trying to get the organic matter up and the nutrient level up. And so I've been trying to do all this ahead of time to get it ready for when I do retire. Horton received a grant from the Natural Resources Conservation Agency years ago. He's used it for projects with his animals that help avoid erosion and build soil. Now, with these new funds, the conservation agency will be taking applications for climate smart projects year round. For the Gulf States Newsroom, I'm Denny McArthur. The Gulf States Newsroom is a partnership between Mississippi Public Broadcasting, public radio stations in Louisiana and Alabama. Tomorrow, in part two of this series, we'll learn about efforts to combine climate smart agriculture and environmental justice. Up next, Mississippi has joined nine other states in a lawsuit against rising flood insurance rates. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. No matter if you use an app to start your car or still have a flip phone, Everyday Tech can decipher today's technology for tomorrow's solutions. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or the MPB public media app. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. Ten states, including Mississippi, are challenging the federal government over its new flood insurance rating system. Federal Emergency Management Agency began these changes in October of last year, adjusting the monthly premiums for the National Flood Insurance Program. Our Will Stribling speaks with the state's insurance commissioner, Mike Cheney, about these changes. He says some owners have had their flood insurance rates go up by as much as 400 percent. Well, I'm proud that uh, Attorney General Finch has joined in with Louisiana in the lawsuit along with several other states. And there's, and well, that's, is, you know, someone who just has the, the understanding of the insurance system like you do. What are, what are the issues with this this new system, and and how uh, could it you know Im- negatively impact you know Mississippians who who reply who rely on that system? Well, let me give you some background information. Initially, I thought that risk two point that's what it's called, would be a very good thing for the whole country, but FEMA in their work to try to make two work 
left out some key components that they had promised us they would put in. One, and that was portability. That means you can move from your flood insurance from one location to another. Okay. And the other was that they would not have the draconian rate increases. So the opposite of that has now started to happen. We've had people on the Gulf Coast that were paying less than $1,000 go to several thousand dollars on flood. We've even had one that was paying 3000 go to almost $15,000. And you can't afford to live at a home if you're paying $15,000 just for flood insurance, not including uh, your normal insurance and all the other expenses of having a home. So to make the market uh, kind of stay stable, I'm all for making the federal government go back and reassess how they are applying WIS 2.0. Uh, those folks, like you mentioned, like the one that went from 3000 to 15000 like did they have to like drop their insurance? Like what are they, what, you know, already? like They dropped some of it, and what we did was they took a huge deductible, and we got them with an, an, uh, another company. Uh, I, I didn't, but we told the agents how to handle it and the consumer that had called us, and we got them taken care of. And the issue is that... Um, a lot of states do not have, actually only two states have a private market. We we in Mississippi is one of the people that have a good private market. But some states do not have a private market. So we're able to compete against NFIP through private enterprise. And an example would be that uh, some apartment owner units in Jackson that have called me questioning their rates and they're about 20% of what they didn't pay into the flood people, and they're buying from um, what we call non-admitted carriers. And they're very pleased, and we've checked it out, and it's, it's for sure it's Lords of London groups. These are reinsurers and surplus lines companies. And that's how we're able to compete at least above Hattiesburg for the rest of the state. Mm-hmm. That has not always been true for the Gulf Coast. So we've got some real issues on the Gulf Coast. And the issue as a commissioner is this, that the Mississippi Warren Wind Pool, which is a insurer of last resort for wind and hail, requires that you have flood insurance if you're in certain zones. And oftentimes those rates are just outrageous and people cannot afford to have flood insurance if they're in the wind pool. So it presents some unusual challenges for me as a regulator as to how we address the issue. And we, we found a way around some of it um, by increasing the deductibles. But a lot of these folks already had, they were in the wind pool, already had flood insurance, so they were kind of protected on the draconian rate increases. But those folks that went from the wind pool to the cheaper surplus lines folks three or four years ago, and those rates have now quadrupled and they want to go back to the wind pool, they're the ones that are really having trouble because they can't find affordable flood insurance. Mm-hmm. Make, make sense to you? Yes, sir. So so folks on the coast aren't able to uh, get that private alternative? That's correct. It, it's hard yeah. to get. But, well, we do have some private uh, sellers on the coast. Um, Coastal American uh, is an admitted company, and they have a flood endorsement, and they write a few thousand policies. They're staying in the market, too. And we we just have to fight to keep the coverage that we need on the coast. And we've had a lot of people that have 
people, I say companies that are pulled out of the Gulf Coast, even on homeowners, due to what happened in Florida and what's happened in Louisiana, mm-hmm. all the bankruptcies in Louisiana for companies. Most of those people did not write in Mississippi because we were. We, we, I just I, I would just say the good Lord blessed us because we've been lucky and we didn't let a market here. Mike Cheney is Mississippi's insurance commissioner. Also ahead, emergency responders are reminding everyone to never leave a child or pet in a parked car. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Join us each week for Everyday Tech on MPB Think Radio. We have an IT expert, a computer repair ace, and we troubleshoot your problems on the phones as well. Everyday Tech, Wednesdays at 10 on MPB Think Radio. Download the podcast now or listen on YouTube on the MPB Think Radio channel. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. Summer officially begins Wednesday, June 21st, and temperatures are already on the rise. Emergency responders are reminding folks to never leave a child or pet in the car. We speak with Jim Pollard, spokesperson with the Ambulance Service, American Medical Response of Mississippi. Fundamental rule is never, never leave a child or a pet in a vehicle, whether the windows are rolled down or the air conditioning is on, just don't do it. Always, always take the, the child or the pet with you. If you even can't, with the air conditioning on? Even with the air conditioning on because, because the sun streaming through the windows is not going to be offset by the air conditioning. All right? it, because a car can heat up dramatically fast. Do not leave a child or a pet in a car, even with the windows down and the air conditioning on. Just do not take that chance. It, it can happen to anyone. And my heart goes out to any parents, grandparents who have lost there a child been in this fashion. cases where the grandparent yes. was supposed to drop the child Very, off. And- very, or runs right. somewhere and forgets. A substantial percentage of uh, deaths among children in hot vehicles happen because the happen when the individual who ordinarily takes the child to say daycare uh, swaps that role out for someone else, the other parent, a grandparent, a friend, and so on. And there are some really just some really super advice on how to prevent the tragedy from happening. Make certain that you. Put in the back of the car where the child is in the car safety seat some object that you're going to have to take with you when you reach your destination. And that could be a shoe. It could be a purse, a laptop, a wallet. Your cell phone shouldn't be on the cell driving anyway, right? And that way, when you get out, you know you've got to get that item from the back seat and you'll the idea is you'll spot the child in the child safety seat. Another uh, tip uh, is to take a pacifier or some small toy of the child's, uh, loop it on a string, drape it over your neck. And if you leave the vehicle with the child in the car, someone else may notice it even if you forget that you have that toy or pacifier around your neck. Uh, it is uh, – there, there's a saying – uh, in among child safety advocates, uh, look before you lock. Look before you lock. It is it is so easy for this tragedy to happen. 
one of the saddest things that I that I read about every every year. I mean, I've unloaded gro- groceries out of the back of the car, and where is what I bought? I'm missing something, and then mm-hmm. I find that I left a bag in the back seat and mm-hmm. thought I had got everything. Mm-hmm. So I see how easily that could happen. Yeah, another tip is to take a larger toy that the child plays with and put it in the passenger seat next to the driver, preferably a brightly colored toy hmm? uh, that is more likely to catch the driver's attention. You clean off the seat, nothing else in it except for that reminder toy. And a combination of these tools of these steps will reduce the odds of a child dying in a hot vehicle. Um, There there are just so many heart-rending stories about parents who say, I know I dropped the child off. I know I dropped it. You know, it's just a horror. It's just absolutely a horror. And, And my heart goes out for those folks. Jim Pollard is a spokesperson with the Ambulance Service AMR. This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio.